it is such a joy to to be here uh, with all of you this morning, and uh, just so you guys get to get to know me a bit better. Uh, Let's see, uh, much like Jordan, my wife is my better half, um, so there's, there's at least a similarity there. Um, let's see, uh, I'm originally from Danville, Virginia, so two hours or so down the road. Yep, yep, I see that. <laughs> um, so I'm originally from Danville, uh, and I've spent the past seven years here in the New River Valley. And then uh, next month, my wife and I are moving to Colorado because, as I said, my wife, my better half, she is very smart and going to go start a PhD program out there. Uh, and just to, just to give you a, a, a brief funny story about uh, Jordan and I interacting back when I was a knucklehead freshman. And he was maybe a knucklehead senior. I don't know. It's up in the air. But uh, the, first time, the first time I met Abigail, I'd heard Jordan talking about her for a bit, that kind of thing. And do you remember what I said, Jordan? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I... It's at a BCM event. I, I don't remember exactly what, but I go up to her and I'm like, ah, so you're the reason Jordan can't drive me to church anymore. Because he had been driving me to church on the weekends and he, then he was out of town. He was going and hanging out with this lady. And then I had to have, find someone else to take me to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> uh, uh, after, later on, I apologized and was like, maybe not the best Im- first impression, but you were the reason. Um, Good reason, though. Um, but with that said, yeah, as, as Jordan said, I'm going to be tackling uh, Matthew 8 this morning. So just want to open in a word of prayer. Um, dear God, uh, thank you so much for this morning, for the chance for, for all of us to be here, to hear from you, uh, to hear from your word. Um, God, I just ask that you would be with me as I speak, uh, be with each person here this morning, um, that Holy Spirit, you would be at work within them, uh, that they, they would uniquely receive what you have for them this morning. And God, if anything, anything I say this morning is not from you, cast it out, throw it away, help it, help it to, to not grow. And God, just help us, help each one of us to, to grow a bit closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm actually going to be starting out in the middle of Matthew 8. So we're going to start in verse 16. Uh, and maybe Jordan's already regretting his decision. We'll see uh, to have me. But I, I actually think starting in verse 16, so we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 where, where there's a little bit of extra commentary that I think will, will help us as, as we approach the rest of the chapter, right? So here in Matthew 8, we get, we get a bunch of Jesus' miracles. And after three of those happen to different unique individuals, we get this summary statement of when evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Right? So there we have a summary statement about Jesus' healings of those that had come to him then. But I also think it's not just that, but also about all the other miracles that, that Jesus does surrounding this in this chapter, right? Uh, I, was, I was blown away looking at this when I realized that these are the first, like Matthew 8 are the first miracles that happen in this gospel, right? Up until now, Jesus is, has just been teaching. And to me, it feels crazy that this is the first time that, that we get any of those. And as, I mean, as Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, you guys spent so much time there. He, he refers to himself as, as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And here we see that being, through, being true, excuse me, through his miracles, right? His miracles were meant to be another aspect of, of how he fulfilled that, of how God revealed himself and his character 
to us, right? Uh, this was this was incredible, and I hope I hope that helps us as we as we approach some of these miracles. Uh, obviously, we can't go in depth through all of them this morning, but just to to already know that that this is part of how. Jesus is revealing himself as, as fully God, fully man, and as fulfillment of the Old Testament, and just tying all of this together. Um, so with that said, I want us to look uh, at Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, okay? So before this, uh, there's Jesus healing the man with leprosy, and then this one details, uh, the little subtitle for me is, Roman centurion demonstrates faith. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse 5 through through 13, which says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment, right? So here we have someone who is an enemy of Israel, who, who had oppressed and helped oppress and rule over some of the Jewish people, approach Jesus, and, you know, this incredible exchange happens. And I think one of the first things I want to make note of is the, the first miracles that we see in the book of Matthew, are to people who would have been incredible outcasts to the Jewish person, right? The first one being lepers, right? I, most of us today probably still don't want to be around someone with leprosy. It's a lot less common today, but even, you know, even if someone's coughing, I'm kind of like, mm, let me, let me get away from you, right? And like, that's, that's our reaction today when one of our friends sneezes. And so here we have a man with leprosy who is, who is an outcast, and then the second miracle Jesus does is to someone who had, you know, ruled over, helped lord over the Jewish people. How offensive must, must that have been? And I think part of that is both Matthew and how, how God here is choosing to reveal himself of the way that God is at work and does not discriminate or eliminate people from the potential of his goodness like we do, right? And I can't speak for you who, who those individuals or people Maybe, right? Maybe you just have a really bad neighbor. I, I don't know. Uh, I know for me, one of the bigger things, we, we kind of had, have bad neighbors. And so what I mean by that is, if you're not as familiar, uh, so let me set that down. Uh, here's Virginia Tech. Here's the BCM building. Like, I cross a crosswalk, and I'm on Virginia Tech's campus. And then if you walk 20 feet past the BCM, you wind up in Center Street, which is party central of Virginia Tech, right? So that's where, where a lot of Greek life, so fraternities, sororities are, so especially on, like, football game days. I just accept that I'm not driving anywhere through the crowds of people. It's pretty impossible. And I think for me, I have to repent to God at times because of the way 
that I do not love people in Greek life well. Uh, because hearing some intoxicated guys at 2 in the morning walking past my apartment yelling pretty obnoxious things to one another, it's not my favorite thing. I don't know that it would be, would be anyone's favorite things. But those are people that need Jesus just as much, just as much as I do, right? And I think, so I think it's incredible that this is part of how miracles start out here, of Jesus showing the, the inbreaking of, of the kingdom of God to, to Gentiles, right? And just the, the importance of that. And if any of the disciples that would have been with Jesus at this moment, how, how offensive might this have been, right? So after this, we see that, uh, that Matthew, right, the tax collector, he becomes a disciple chronologically in a story after this. But in this moment, if Simon the Zealot, for instance, had been with Jesus, man, he would have been really upset because zealots were the Jewish freedom fighters of that day, right? A lot of people hated the Romans. <laughs> the zealots, they were like, number zero on that list. They were, they were the, the very top. So how upset must he especially have been at this positive interaction in this moment? And yet, also thinking about this, man, three years later, when the disciples have the Holy Spirit, when they understand so much more of what Jesus had, had been doing, how upset must they have been with themselves? Right, and that, that for me is also a point of growth where I'm like, looking back on that goofy moment, interacting with Jordan and Abigail, uh, I guess six and a half years ago, I'm like, you know, I really should, uh, yeah, I've grown since then, right? Uh, but hopefully for all of us in a lifetime of, or in a life of following Jesus, that happens where we look back three years, three months, we're like, man, who is that guy? <laughs> he had no idea what was going on, right? And so uh, just looking at this passage, I can't help but imagine what the disciples in that moment, but then afterwards must have been thinking. And not just that, right? Like this is overall a positive interaction, but Jesus has some big words, some big words for the faith of the centurion. As he says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. That's high praise, right? Thinking about it, I'm like, man, if Jesus was amazed by my faith, by your faith, by our faith, That'd be really nice, right? Like for Jordan as a pastor, that's an incredible. That would be an incredible place for your for your church to be for for that to happen, right? And here we have that from someone who, by all all reason, according to Jewish people, shouldn't shouldn't be there. And I think in part we we see a lot about his character because he comes for a servant. He doesn't come for for a relative, for his daughter, for a child. He comes for someone who is, you know, employed by him, who, who works for him. That is, that is who he comes to, to Jesus for. And, like, he personally comes. He doesn't just send someone, right? And maybe he only had the one servant, and the, or maybe this is the world's greatest servant, and they've received the most valuable servant award year after year. I don't think they had that back then. That'd be strange. But the centurion comes because he knows that this is his option, Right? He, he sees that. And I also think it's incredible in the way that he speaks, knowing, right? And maybe he's, maybe in this moment, he's smarter than he realizes. Um, and I say that because he speaks about the way that the centurion, right? He's employed by the Romans. He's, he's a man under authority who still has authority, right? And 
Jesus acknowledges that as well, because in a lot of ways, that is Jesus' relationship with God the Father, right? Because the Father tell, would give him things to do, and we see Jesus in obedience to Father, the Father. We see that other places throughout Scripture and in, in how he prays and how, how he does things. And with that, Jesus makes this a teaching moment for those around him, as I feel like Jesus turned a lot of moments into, if I could be half as good at Jesus as, you know, turning things into teaching moments and having good things to say, that the second half might be the harder thing. Um, but he, he turns around and he, he speaks to those following him, right? And in this, he offers some pretty, pretty inflammatory words, if they, under, if they understand fully what he's saying, perhaps they don't, but he, in verses 10 through 12, speaks, right? I mentioned the Gentiles being welcomed into into the kingdom of God, and he speaks now of how how there will be Gentiles with stronger faith than those in Israel, and that they will enjoy the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? For any Jewish person, any any Pharisee, any teacher of the law, there, that's upsetting if they if they understood, as well as the fact that you know the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think. That for them, as well as for us, is a reminder that bloodlines don't save us, right? Maybe, I, to my knowledge, none of you in this room are Jewish and banking on that for, for salvation. But maybe, maybe your grandfather or dad was, or someone relative was, was in ministry, right, was a pastor. And I think sometimes we have this idea that, that it's easy to have that idea that that will save us. And that doesn't. It is uniquely individually how, how we, how you have have approached God, and hopefully that does set us up, set us a bit closer initially, but that that is not going to save us. And I think out of this, I see so much, right, uh, Jesus heals his servant, heals his servant. And I think the centurion went in that moment because he he was in a place of need. He was in a place of desperation, right? He he saw Jesus as as his only option, as the only option for his servant. And I think that's a really healthy place for us to arrive at, to try and live in, because I know, I know I don't do it perfectly, and my guess is Jordan doesn't, my guess is a lot of us won't, but to really try and live in that place of desperation and need before Jesus. One other thing I want to, want to point out in, in this first half of the, the chapter is we have the three individual miracles, right? So there's the man with the leprosy who approaches Jesus himself. We have the Roman centurion who approaches Jesus himself. And then after that, we have Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. And this, there's two verses about that. And it just makes it sound like Jesus just heals his mother-in-law. Jesus just goes in unprompted and does that. And looking at, so this is in uh, Mark, the Gospels of Mark and Luke as well, uh, the parallel stories. In those, they do specifically ask Jesus to heal, right? Whereas here they don't. And for me, I was kind of like, man, that's weird. Why wouldn't Matthew include that, right? Um, and there's any number of things we could say about that. But I think in part, it's, it's meant to point out the number of places in our lives. And this is, for me, working with college students, something I was talking about. Someone asked a really good question and prompted this. But, like, how many places in our lives has God blessed us, worked, or protected us that we're not aware of? Right, so thinking about that, like how many times, right, has has something miraculous happened to stop the snowball from making it down to the bottom of the hill and hitting us? Like the snowball stops way up there, 
God stops that way up there, and it doesn't even come close to touching us. And I don't know, I, I think of that sometimes in a, like, one of the prayer requests I hear from students sometimes, and I must, must confess to you guys, I, I occasionally get annoyed with because I'm like, all right, this is your prayer request every week. Come on. I, I'd like to see something else, but is prayers for safe travels, right? Just what traveling safe looks like if you're, like, going home for the weekend or something like that. And yet I'm like, no, traveling is dangerous. And what is God's provision of maybe there isn't, you know, maybe there is an accident on 81 because there's always an accident on 81 somehow. It's crazy like that. But that they weren't, you know, that happened right before or right after someone came through there and, and were safe. And so even the way that God does so many different things that, that we may never know about, <laughs> yet we can still, still praise him for. And just, we're aware of some of the things, but man, how, how much greater might that list be? Um, so at this point, I want to move on, uh, once again, closer to the middle of the chapter. So starting in verse 18, uh, and it's this really weird, uh, at least initially, seems like interjection in in the middle of the chapter because you've got these miracles before it and then after it you have other miracles and yet uh for me the tie the uh like section head is titled jesus teaches about the cost of following him right so there's miracles miracles on both sides and then this this interrupts right so let's let's read that so i'll read 18 through 22 and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why that's there when jesus saw the crowd around him He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So I don't know about you, but for me in some ways initially reading this, it felt like Jesus was saying something that was not really in response to what the other people had said, right? So it'd be like in a conversation, if I'm talking to my wife, saying, hey, what if we went to Sakura for dinner tomorrow night? And she said, well, honey, the neighbor mowed their lawn yesterday. And to me, those seem pretty disconnected. And maybe there is some greater connection, like if I mow the lawn, then we can get Sakura that's, you know, passive-aggressive there. But that's that's not what Jesus is doing here, right? And... At this point, my guess is a lot of people were hanging out with Jesus, were following him, because he was, he was teaching with authority that we will never experience anyone teaching with, right? His teaching would have been far better than the best teaching we've ever heard. He was doing these incredible miracles, right? So in some way, I envision it, you know, following Jesus would be like hanging out with the cool kid at work or school, right? Because if you're near that cool person, then other people will think you're cool. Is that how that works? Maybe? I, I don't know if that makes me cooler, but I'm with them, so surely, you know, there's got to be something different, right? And I think, that's, I think that's part of the reality, right? That's just, that's just how we humans see things of like, man, I look up to this guy. Well, the, this other person's hanging out with them. Well, they got to be cool too, right? And I think the point here that Jesus was trying to make to that crowd as well as to us today is that following Jesus isn't all blessings and miracles, Right? Following Jesus is not all blessings and miracles. And man, that would be really nice if it was. Right? <laughs> I, think, I think we're all like, yeah, 
if following Jesus just, like, if I got a little punch card for every, like, good day and I could just, like, redeem it for ice cream. We were talking about ice cream a lot earlier, so that's why ice cream is what comes to mind. But if I could just redeem it for ice cream sundays, that'd be great. <laughs> but that's, that's not quite it. And these people at this point have seen Jesus speak incredibly, right, deliver one of the best, if not the best sermon of all time in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know that there's a ranking necessarily, but it's, it's up there. Uh, and while it's not until chapter 16 of the book of Matthew that any of the disciples would refer to Jesus as being the Messiah, my guess is at this point that everyone thinks Jesus is pretty great, right? So going back to the most valuable, maybe Jesus was voted for the, like, best rabbi of the year award in that area, kind of thing of just like, yeah, he's doing really well. And I, I don't know, I compare it to how anytime a new restaurant or store opens, you have to go there. Everyone has to go there. You have to see what it's about. And then, you know, within a month, the crowds have died down, and you could just as readily go there. But you have to go soon because you need to know what's going on. You need to know what's there. And in this, I want to say also, like, I want to clarify and make sure following Jesus should be a thing that brings us joy, that, that brings us hope, that adds so much meaning to our life. But it's hard, right? My guess is some of you in this room, for reference, I'm 25, have been following Jesus longer than I'm alive. Maybe, maybe double that. We, I won't ask anyone to clarify. But you know that, right? If you've been, that's just a reality of, of following Jesus in a world where sin still is, right? That, that, that still hits us. But in this Part of why Jesus is doing this here is that Jesus is not a used car salesman, right? Jesus is not trying to sell us a, a lemon of a used car that we drive off the lot and immediately falls apart, and he expects to. When Jesus has some of the biggest crowds, some of the most people around him, is when he says and offers his hardest teaching in the Bible at times, Right? With those massive crowds is when Jesus will say some of those hardest things. And I think, I think that's meant to be a, a reality check, a, a, a break check in a way, right? Of, hey, I want you to know what you're signing up for, right? It's not like, it's not like God hides the fact that life as a Christian will still be hard, right? We, we're, we're assured that. We're assured difficulties, trials, challenges, biblically. And I think... I think this is part of it. And so as, as I mentioned, uh, my wife and I are moving to, to Colorado next month. And I don't know that that was the first choice for either of us. I don't know that I could call it the second choice for either of us. I could call it the third choice because it was quite literally the, of the three options, it was our third choice. So it was literally the third choice for us. And in that, we both prayed very much in a God, we want to be where you want us, right? If, if that's here, so it, for her PhD program, there were three options, and she got in to the one in Colorado. So we're going to Colorado. And that's really hard. We've lived here for seven, I've lived here for seven years. She's, she's lived in the area for basically her whole life. I love these people. I, I love this area. I, I have friends here. I have all these connections. And it's going to be hard, but that's, that's where God is leading us right? And I've seen God open so many doors in, even through those difficulties that have been, been so cool, right? And I think in this, even though 
like uh, as as the text literally says, even though the Son of Man has has no place to lay his head, right? No no bed necessarily, um, or or there are other things that that may may be challenges that that may be missed out on, right? Uh, I, I'm sure Jordan understands this in some way. I I left a friend's birthday party early last night because I was like, I need to go finish and make sure that I'm prepared for the morning, right? And there's there's challenges in following Jesus that are that are just realities there, but but there is so much hope as well, and that's something that we need to remember, right? Seeing seeing the miracles, seeing all of these incredible things, and also acknowledging there's there's gonna be tough moments, right? Just as I mean, people talk about seasons of life, and I think that is such a such a beautiful thing. And I, I, I like all the seasons, but at the end of every season, you know, by the end of summer, I'm like, I am tired of sweating. But then by the end of winter, I'm like, I am tired of being freezing cold. And I'm just always, I'm, you know, we're always fickle <laughs> like that and just always frustrated by the end of things. And so I, I think it's meant to remind us and point us to that. Um, and so after this, passage in chapter 8. There's a couple more miracles. Uh, so Jesus calming the storm and Jesus uh, casting out some demons. And where we're going to finish today in the scriptures is actually the beginning of chapter 9. Uh, so here uh, is, I, I would describe it as a beautiful crescendo, if you will, and just an, an incredible conclusion to to this through this narrative flow, this passage, and some of the reason why chapter markings are, are not necessarily always the most helpful, because they, they can interrupt and cut some things off like that, and we're, we're added afterwards. Um, so with that said, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 9, and then we're going to look at that miracle. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your, sons are forgi- excuse me, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So here we see an exchange uh, between Jesus and the teachers of the law, and as with pretty much any of those exchanges in the Bible, they're upset with Jesus' actions. (laughs) And here we once again get a picture of some individuals with incredible faith, right? We saw that with the centurion earlier and we see that now with with these friends that that have brought this paralyzed man to to Jesus right and perhaps perhaps that man heard first perhaps they heard we have no no reason for knowing but there's there's incredible faith in this moment and genuinely how awesome right of we don't know how far they traveled uh, how how they got him there? If if they carried the mat the whole time, if they had like a cart, uh, maybe maybe even a donkey that they could lay him on the back of, and then just to get closer to Jesus, had to carry him some. But these are incredible friends, and once again, I'm convicted even just by these friends because I don't know about all of you, but for me, my friends always seem to have problems at times that are also inconvenient for me. Like, if my friends could just schedule their inconveniences to say, hey, Nick, 3 p.m. on Tuesday, I'm going to need your help, that would be incredible. And here, I mean, Jesus' movements were, were pretty sporadic, right? And so 
but what incredible faith, what, what great friends, genuinely. And quite a bit of faith was needed for that man to make it to Jesus that day. And then we see Jesus' words in verse 2, which are what, what makes this so inflammatory, what, what upsets the teachers of the law so much when he says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. In that moment, what, mu- what must have been going through the friends' heads? Because they didn't take this man to Jesus for his sins to be forgiven, right? Likely it was to be healed. They'd, they'd heard of the miracles. And what about that man's head? Because once again, I think he envisioned walking away that day, right? Being able to walk, not, not sins being forgiven. I, I think of this as, in some way, several times as a kid growing up, uh, I would ask a relative for a toy, and they would give me money for a college fund. As a five-year-old, money for a college fund is pretty uninteresting, and I would rather have a toy. However, one of those is, is a bit better long-term, right? Looking back, I see the value of money for a college fund as a gift. As a five-year-old, I still want a toy. As someone who's done with undergrad, I kind of want a toy again because, you know, grown men, toys just get more expensive, change a little. Um, but that's, I, I think it's easy to view this a bit, a bit like that. And it's incredible because maybe, like, they could have gone to some other, some other uh, healer and put, put some kind of, like, cream on, on his body to try and heal. And it could have, I don't know, it could have done something. I don't know that it would have healed him. But they went to Jesus. And so Jesus did the only thing that Jesus did what only he could do and forgave his sins, right? Gave him the gift that he was not expecting, but that ultimately was far greater, was far better. And that, I think that's just so, so incredible for us as we see Jesus as fully God, fully man here. And after that, Jesus speaks straight to the teachers of the law, right? He, he addresses them directly and asks them the question in verse 5, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, right? In that only one of those, only one of those things could rightly be said to that man, could rightly be said to this paralyzed man by Jesus. Any, any person could have said get up and walk, and whether or not whether or not the man did, well, that's its own conversation. But Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is the only one who could say, your sins are forgiven. And that's why, that's why the teachers of the law got so upset, because they realized he was making that divine claim. He was, he was saying, in a shielded way, no, I am God. Like, he was making that claim, and the teachers of the law were upset with that, because only God, only God can forgive sins. And so that, we see that happen, and, excuse me, uh, yeah, and we see that that's the point Jesus is making, right? The verse after that, he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That is the reason for this miracle. That is the, that is the point that Jesus wanted to make to, to the teachers of the law that day, to, to us today, Right? is that he does have that authority. And then, and then, he heals the man, right? And then the man does finally get what he, 
what he and his friends likely came there for, which was the ability for him to just be able to walk away and go home as his friend's arms were exhausted. <laughs> but he was, he was able to walk, right? So he got, he got the blessing he expected, the miracle that he was hoping for, and something far greater. And after this, all the people are amazed. They're filled with awe. They praised God. And I think in part, the, the flow here is incredible, right? I, earlier, I referred to it as a, as a crescendo, if you will. I think, I think in some way, this is the, the ice cream sundae at the end of a filling meal of, of this narrative passage. Because it, it flows with Jesus's, the way Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament, right? Through, through his miracles being part of that. And we see this miracle here confirming that that man's sins were forgiven, right? Because if... If that miracle hadn't happened, if, if the man hadn't gotten up and walked away, how would the people know? What, like, how would they know if his sins were forgiven? But seeing the man who had been paralyzed, able to just walk away, changed it. It, 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 it helped it click for them. They, they understood. And for us today, this is such a big deal. This is such a big thing, right? Uh, because if Jesus can't forgive sins, if Jesus couldn't forgive sins, then, then we're in trouble, Right. Uh, in Luke 7:48, that was the only other place I could find where Jesus directly utters, "Your sins are forgiven." Uh, there, it's to the adulterous woman who uses perfume to anoint Jesus, and then cleans cleans him with her with her hair. Right, cleans his feet with her hair, and that's the only other place that I and, and some searching could find. And uh, Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, right? God who forgives all your sins. Mentions how God alone can forgive sins. But just as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right, he didn't come to get rid of, to, to destroy the law, but to, to fulfill it, right, to, to bring it to, to its, its fullness. And... That's, that's why Jesus' death on the cross was, was necessary, right? We see that blood is necessary for the cleansing of sins, for, for forgiveness. And that's, that's part of why Jesus, knowing what's ahead, can say that, can do this right now. Because he knows, he knows what he's going to do. He knows what lies ahead. And I think for us, for, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, for, for everyone, that's why Easter is such an important time. Because it's, it's that reminder of, of what Jesus has done, right? Of his life, death, resurrection, and how, how that gives us hope, how our sins have been forgiven. And yet, I think also, that's part of what this passage and Jesus' miracles are meant to show us and to remind us of, right? Uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament, right, uh, in the book of Acts especially, there's, there's plenty of accounts of the disciples afterwards, once they have the Holy Spirit and others, going out and performing miracles, thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit within them. However, none of them were able to forgive someone's sins, right? So in the Bible, we saw others able to perform miracles, others able to, to cast out demons, do incredible things, and God worked through that. But only one man, the man that was fully God, Jesus, could forgive sins. And I think that is, that is so important for us. And just what we all, we all need to, I don't know, 
check ourselves before Jesus, right? And just where, where we are knowing that bloodlines don't save, knowing that God does offer forgiveness of sins if we only, if we only approach. Uh, and I think also in this, these miracles here throughout Scripture do, do offer us encouragement, right? They offer us proof. And by no means will there ever be, you know, 100% confidence because, well, that is an inherent part of faith, right? Without some amount of, there's, there's extra belief needed, but that's part of what the miracles here are meant to do. How much, how must the miracles that the disciples saw have changed and impacted them? What about the leper? What about the centurion? What about, what about Peter's mother-in-law? How must that have impacted their faith and their relationship with God? And I think that's so incredible. So with that, I've got some different points just for us to, to take away from today to, to remind us and hopefully uh, just allow the scriptures to impact us as we leave. Um, so first one is miracles in the Bible should encourage and challenge our faith, right? Miracles in the Bible should encourage and challenge our faith. Uh, these were real things. These were real things that happened. Real human lives changed and impacted. We, I mean, we, we see the joy of, of so many and can, can imagine how, how the life changed because I've had my, like, ear need to pop for days and then get giddy and dance once it finally does. How much more would someone rejoice if they hadn't been able to walk for their life or had been blind? And in this, we see God continuing to reveal his character, God's care for humanity, his love, his mercy, his grace. And I think that's one of the biggest things that these miracles are meant to do is that. And then next is just to remember God's unseen protection. Remember God's unseen protection. But what, like, there's some pretty great things about being alive right now that I would not call a miracle. But I think we're all pretty big fans of running water and air conditioning, right? I think everyone here is like, I, I, I like those things, right? And I'm not, I'm not calling them miracles, but there's also cool gifts that, that God has given us as people that are alive in, in 2023, as well as, I mean, as I was talking about earlier, what are those, those other things, right? When, when the doctor does catch a, a disease early and you're able to take care of it, or even like, I was born sick and the medical team being able to, you know, Heal, heal me, take care of that, and the fact that, that I'm standing before you today, and things that, you know, I, don't, I think today we have a strange relationship with miracles, because we either really want to see them, or we don't know what would count, right, and I think instead it's just, I think wanting miracles is cool, but I think no matter what, we should be rejoicing in where God is at work, and, and celebrating those things, and seeing how he's encouraging us. Um, next up is just remembering that Jesus didn't bait and switch us. Jesus didn't bait and switch us, uh, and in, in that, there, there are those tough moments. We, we know that. Those are, those are assured. Those are a reality of following Jesus. But he also told us, right, when, when those times come, when those hard moments come, we're aware. Those, those aren't something just suddenly coming. And then the last thing is forgiveness of our sins is Jesus' greatest miracle, right? And just thinking about all the different miracles, and we, we see that here, but the fact that we can enjoy the relationship with God that high priests of Israel could enjoy once a year of entering into his presence, that, that the Israelites were fearful of because of God's majesty. But just the fact that that's a thing that we can regularly enjoy is drawing near to God and just taking, I don't want to say taking advantage of, but like actually doing it. 
right? Knowing that we have this incredible thing, just actually spending some time in prayer or with your Bible or with, with other believers and just seeing, seeing how God can work there. Um, so let me, let me pray as I, as I close today. But thank you all uh, for, the, for the chance to be here this morning. And I hope, hope this has uh, encouraged and challenged, challenged you a bit as it, as it has me. Um, God, just thank you so much for, for this morning, for, for your goodness, for your word. For what we what we see in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, how how you use miracles to to offer us proof, to to point us to you, to to encourage and challenge us, God, just help us to to see and rejoice in where you're already at work. Um, I just ask that you'd help us all to to remember you throughout our days, throughout our week, as we leave this place, and just help us to to draw close to you, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.